Hello, everybody. Greetings. It's uh, Chapo coming through. It's me, Will, here with a bonus episode, as promised from earlier in the week, uh, talking about um, immigration policy and joining me, of course, I believe it was your second or third appearance? Third. Third times. Okay, breaking out that uh, that challenge coin, three-time appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the prize? Uh, you get a, a challenge coin. It's a oh. three-time Chapo appearance. You okay. Know? And then, you know, if you get up to, like, Derek Davison numbers, you get, like, a trophy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is our friend uh, Karina Moreno. And you are, uh, you have the unique distinction. I, was, I wouldn't say unique distinction, but I would say, a, I don't know, a dubious distinction or rather a remarkable achievement is that you have managed to read all 324 pages of the new... 53. 353 pages <laughs> of the new Biden immigration reform bill. Yeah. And I want I want to get into what... What's it? What is in this new bill that's good? What's in there that's not um, good, or what should be in it rather? Uh, but first, like I mean, I want to talk about just like you know immigration in general, like now in like the you know what is it the third month of the new Biden administration? Obviously, right. immigration was a you know hot topic in the previous administration, who you know rose to power largely about you know fear mongering around the issue of. Uh, you know, like the the crisis at our border, oh, and wouldn't you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't you know it though? I look in the media now today, and the big story that's in like the head, all the headlines is a crisis at the border. Yeah. There's an ongoing crisis at the border. So I mean, I just want to like uh, I think on this Sunday, ABC's This Week they had their weekly roundtable that was uh, on the U.S. Mexico border where they were like sitting socially distanced by a border wall talking about. Um, in the heart, uh, in the heart of an emerging crisis for the Biden administration, and I just want to like just kick things off by asking, like, what do people mean when they talk about a crisis at the border or an immigration crisis? And is there actually a crisis going on right now at the border, or is this just a uh, like a media way to like uh, sort of plump, uh, puff up Republican talking points and create like controversy for a new Biden administration? Okay, so let's break it down the government in itself created a crisis. So it's a self-manufactured crisis of immigration at the border. Um, this started in the 80s, the same way that Reagan did like the war on drugs where it was like a completely disproportionate response um, was the way that the the border just kept getting more attention. And then by both parties, I think it was just like two election cycles before both parties started saying the same thing. So... <laughs> Is there a crisis? Yes, because the government made one. What are the features of this crisis? Like, it's like, or is what you talk about when you say that there's a crisis? Is that something different than what the media and politicians say when they when they talk about a, the crisis at the border? Right. So I'm talking. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so during labor shortages in World War II, um, immigrants from Mexico were allowed to come back and forth because they were labor shortages, um, and then. Yeah, American policy has has really backfired in the sense that in agriculture, like agricultural workers would come seasonally and then leave. Like they didn't want to stay here permanently. And it's just so ironic that by immigration policies that were set in place, it ended up like taking away that possibility where you could where you could come work seasonally and then leave. So undocumented people that were here working just they were stuck like they couldn't go, you know, they couldn't go back home. I think that's also something that a lot of people don't know and don't think about. Like, this was a thing that was working until it was politicized. We have the story of, like, ongoing escalation of just more punitive uh, responses. And they have to, like, each election cycle, they have to outdo each other. 
right? So that's why Donald Trump's presidency is a failure because he didn't go past Obama in deportations. I'm kidding. But there is an actual crisis because Trump is gone, but his stay in Mexico, uh, the MPP program. So anyone seeking asylum that made it to the border, Trump just said no. Well, I mean, like a lot of his policy was based on deterring people from seeking asylum at the border by making the process as onerous, painful and cruel as possible. I mean, but has that changed now in the turnover in the administrations? So during Trump, they started, you know, when this MPP thing kicked in and like no one can get across, like, no, you have to wait in Mexico. I mean, people set up tents and this is still there. Even with COVID, this is people are just there waiting um, to see if something will change now with the Biden administration uh, to try again if they were denied. But I mean, that is a crisis that people are that Mexico has no infrastructure to house uh, asylum seekers coming from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. Well, you talk about like uh, Mexico not having the infrastructure. I mean, a, a big a big issue, um, at least like in terms of like the, the politics of this issue, is the infrastructure that America has to deal with this, you know, crisis and quotation marks of people seeking asylum in the country or crossing right. a border without the proper you know permits to do so. And like that infrastructure that we're talking about is the kids in cages, which is like this is a big you know, talking point of during the election. Michelle was, Obama. Yeah, this is like the said most. that out- at the convention. Yeah. So what did, you, what did she, so she said like, you know, we can't have kids in cages. Yes. In the border. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, wait. <laughs> uh, the Obama administration created family incarceration. Um, but that, you know, sound bites. People, people I mean, didn't our, ask questions. Like, I mean, like the, uh, the feature that got, you know, that was the most probably um, uh, unspeakable of Trump's policy was the family separation. Yeah. And like, has, has, so I, I, has, have the Democrats at Biden now, they've stopped family separation? No. Or they, no? Okay. So yeah, like, I mean, apparently the kids are apparently still in cages, but now uh, everyone in the media who got so angry about it before are now calling them, no, they're not in cages anymore. They're in temporary um, holding facilities. <laughs> I mean, yes. And they're in there longer. So by law, I mean, according to age, right? But you have like really, really young children. They shouldn't be held more than... I don't know, something like 72 hours and I've like downloaded all this data for Homeland Security. No, they keep them way, way longer than that. The Biden administration hasn't really, hasn't changed anything. A lot of what he's done, a lot of, you know, and, and people would, would applaud him for just simply starting to reverse the long list of stuff that Trump did. But I think it's easy to say. I don't think it's necessarily easy to actually implement. Like, I don't know. I think it's a cruel system and that's not going to change. What, I mean, so what, what are we to make of these like recent photos that have been like heavily circulated that show conditions at these border detainment facilities or temporary holding locations, whatever you want to call them, whatever euphemism is currently being used um, that seem to be identical to the same photos that got everyone so angry when Trump was in the White House. I mean, like, what, what, are, we to, what are we to make of this now? And like, I mean, if, if the conditions are the same, then like, you know, what has changed in immigration policy? I mean, immigration policy is a, you know, partisan issue where they both are invested in a cruel system. I think that people are not like angry and upset. It's just that they don't really care. I mean, this is, I'm quoting from CBS News here. Um, On Friday, Paul Wise, a court-appointed doctor charged with monitoring conditions faced by migrant children, migrant children in U.S. custody, told U.S. District Court Judge Dolly Gee, 
that he found, quote, profound overcrowding at the Donna Holding Facility and other CPB stations in South Texas that he toured last week. So here's my question. I mean, like the, the, the argument that I think defenders of the Biden administration or defenders of like Democrats in power will make is that like, look, we need to we need to put these people somewhere. We need to put these children somewhere like these are the facilities that we have. We're trying to make them better. But like we simply can't you know, just uh, ignore that they're here or like not take care of, not take care of them at all or not keep track of them at all. And I guess I'm wondering is like, why do we need these facilities in the first place? Like once you've sort of documented the fact that someone is, you know, in the country I- illegally or without a visa or wherever you want to well, call it. And, and, and just pause, 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 because they are asylum seekers. Like they are who we're talking about. They're asylum seekers. They are escaping. They're fleeing persecution and, and violence in their countries, right? Like it's it's not the the average border crosser. Who, oh, who so like that, that's why they're in the facilities because they've been like turned themselves in essentially to be like I'm seeking asylum. Yeah, they're held. So people don't get this, right? Like this is not fun. You get to the border, you say you want to, you're seeking asylum, and you're not sent to the Holiday Inn. Like you are sent to one of these facilities. And you know, like um, it's like you know, it's the the images we've seen are like you know chain link fences in these giant warehouses and people given this sort of like aluminum foil blankets that they hand you at the end of a marathon yeah. or something like that like yeah like that's the you know the, and then you're held there essentially indefinitely but i guess like my point is like after your claim for asylum has been registered like you've been you know your name and you know some contact has been processed for you why not just basically let them go into right. america because where they presumably already have family relatives friends someone already living in this country for quite some time like that they could, there's a community there that they could fit into yeah. or have some support network to, um, yeah, like to, to go on their life. And then what give them a, just a hearing date for like an immigration court. Right. So there's a few things. They don't let them out that fast because they, I, I guess like a number of industries are making money while they're held, even though it's, you know, that marathon blanket. Two, the immigration system is completely overburdened. Like it's just, it has no gas. I mean, Biden is adding judges or something, but it's it's not enough. The backlog is is tremendous. People always go to their hearing, though. So, yes, you could release them. They will go to their hearing. It's like over 90%, you know, for the last, I don't know how many years. Um, I'm sure that that's, you know, something to invest in, like the, the bracelets or something, like, I, I predict like there'll soon be more of that because the the Biden proposal says like alternatives to detention and it's going to be some way of like technology surveilling you. So what like like a like an ankle monitor or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Like like when an ankle monitor for like house arrest is supposed to keep contain you in one location. Like would this be some sort of roaming ankle monitor to keep track of you? I mean that doesn't seem <laughs> doesn't seem very humane either. No, no, because. I mean, there's a stigma attached to it. Like, how are you supposed to get, you know, like... Employed or, yeah, know, or just... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a mess. But when, when they said alternatives to, to detention, like, this is, this is what I'm thinking. How does, like, in terms of the Biden immigration reform bill that's, um, that's, that's currently um, being debated or, I mean, hasn't passed yet? No. I mean, like, so what is, it, what is in this immigration reform bill, um, like, in, in the text of it, like, it's not all bad. So, like, what in it is would you say that is good or like needed um should it should it be passed okay so there are a few things that are not bad and new 
So, for example, it actually acknowledges that, you know, the previous policies have been harmful and, and painful for, for families. It also revises the terminology in uh, anything in, like legislation that has to do with immigration. So it proposes using the word non-citizen instead of alien. So I thought that was nice. <laughs> and uh, it also, for the first time, mentions climate change, like how there will be refugees and asylum seekers due to climate change. But does it like codify any of what the United States' responsibilities would be, like vis-a-vis -vis to those people who are made refugees by climate change or economic deprivation? Yes. Yeah, so thank you. That that's the biggest like that's the biggest difference. Root causes has been included in previous proposals, but you know some were in an appendix at at the back. Um, this time, root causes is very much like at the center uh, and and the focal point of the the proposal. So I think that is, you know, many years of a lot of organizing <laughs> that got that done. So, yeah, they, they mentioned this, right? Like root causes, which, of course, we know have to do with foreign intervention and free trade. Well, I mean, you, you say you, you, you told me that um, and, and a curious omission in the immigration bill is that the, the, the word Mexico is not mentioned even once in it. In terms of like, you know, immigration policy is not just about like what America does to people seeking to enter this country for whatever reason. It's about the countries that they're coming from as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, like, obviously, like NAFTA has played a huge role in this back in the 90s. But like, I mean, should the, should the goal of immigration policy be to accommodate as many people as possible who want to come into this country? Or should it be to create conditions in the countries that they're leaving that maybe that they would not want would choose not to leave if they had the choice. Right. So they're trying to do that. They're finally sort of realizing that uh, there are certain conditions, you know, like certain material conditions that lead to uh, migrant flows. Like they mention uh, investing in like after school programs and and things like that. So very local uh, programs in El Salvador, Honduras. Wait, so like at, they're investing in after-school programs for kids, like the Police Athletic League in El Salvador. Like that's gonna that's gonna keep people in their home countries and like not seeking desperately to come to risking their lives to come to America. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and this time, how much did he say? So Biden put away like eight billion dollars on this when he was vice president. It was seven hundred and. $50 million that went to each country per year. And it had, I mean, okay, now we know the answer like years later, um, it had no impact. It had no effect. Like it didn't, it didn't stop um, people from fleeing their, their countries, their homes. And, you know, I mean, like, I, I think what gets lost in like, it just, it just seems to be like, I think the way a lot of people talk on like both the left and right about immigration is this idea that like, like economic migrants or, or refugees or people who, you know, uh, take it upon themselves to like risk their lives to travel hundreds of miles to cross a border illegally or to seek asylum in a country fleeing from one in which their life is in danger is incredibly dangerous and difficult to do. So like the, the reason that you would do that is like, you know, cause you're it, fucking scared. Yeah. Cause you're, yeah, yeah. Cause like this, this is life or death. I mean like, and like the idea is like, 
it, I think people just think that like, oh, like America is so great. Like who wouldn't, if you're, you're a liberal, you're like, oh, America is such a wonderful country. Who wouldn't want to come here? We should like let everyone come to America. That's great. <laughs> and if you're a right winger, you're like, oh, our country is so great, but it's being taken away because we're letting in all these, these moochers and criminals who are, are going to take away what makes our country great. Where it's just like, Okay, like, I mean, what they mean is, like, what makes our country great is that there's, like, you know, jobs or money here to be had. But, like, other than that, it's, like, it's not so great. And if you're from, you know, Honduras or El Salvador, like, you know, ideally, you wouldn't want to leave your country. You would be, like, connected to your community or family or the place you grew up or there would be, like, a job or a future in those countries, which have been, you know... Like, like that's why like no one, no one is just dying to come to America. No, what a fucking nice and wonderful country it is. It's painful. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, it's very painful. Like no one wants to leave that behind. I mentioned earlier the role um, in, in of a previous era, like the with the NAFTA regime and like what that meant to immigration, at least as far as from like Mexico and Central America, because you describe the effects of like the role NAFTA played in immigration and and like immigration policy in America and Mexico. It just uh, destroyed the uh, farm work sector in our own country. So we couldn't sell our, we couldn't sell our corn, which is our, you know, like that's our one thing. And I don't know, Walmart came in and and had a better price. So it just devastated um, the farm sector. So free trade allowed for like corporations like Walmart to, buy corn on a, like a global market like cheaper without like to tar- like to import it like without yes. tariffs or taxes in such a way that undercut virtually every like small like agricultural community or farm or sector of employment in Mexico itself like for the entire like large rural parts of Mexico which is like most of the country where most people are yes. involved in like agricultural it like, was w- cheaper yeah. from <laughs> and also fishing too as well yeah I mean I don't know too much about that one but yeah I mean it it, it that still really gets me. It escalated the use or, uh, or like the scope and size of the black market. For human trafficking. Or yeah. For, you know, shepherding people across uh, the yeah. border. I mean, like the drug cartels control all of that. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's like this, um, you have open borders for commerce, right? Like yeah. You can so money in. can traverse across the U.S.-Mexico border. Yeah. Capital yeah. flows totally unimpeded. Without, but like the yeah. necessity that creates is it means the freer money is that our capital is able to traverse international borders, the harder that those countries have to make it for people yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah. So always open for commerce, but never like for 10, people. Like 10,000 tractor trailer trucks going back and forth every minute of the day. Oh, but people, nonstop. It's like you got you, you to gotta crack down on that because like of the economic dislocations caused by free trade. Like it's just like, yeah, it is this perverse thing where like money is given absolute freedom and people are ever more brutally policed, surveilled, incarcerated and yeah you know, as we see the result of that died people and dead. children in cages yeah yeah i mean the united states response every time has been the same like more of the same the same escalation right like you just militarize the the border even more and now with technology i mean you know it, it's like military equipment like drones and shit um so you don't actually need the border patrol everywhere you have like all these other gadgets to do that for you and with that risk um you know, like the smugglers that they pass that risk on to whoever, you know, is paying to, you know, like cross the desert and get here. I mean, it's like in terms of immigration policy, it's like it's, it's an interesting issue because like as you know, as the Biden administration is, you know, begins to get going and it's like they've done, a, you know, they, they seem to be like a lot of people are giving them credit for how fast they're moving to like, you know, spend a lot of money on the economy and 
st- you know, stimulus spending and, and infrastructure bill and things like oh, that. Was that fast? Yeah, it was. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're still waiting for your stimmy check, uh, keep waiting, <laughs> I guess. But the, the point is, though, like. Uh, when a lot of people complain about like why isn't Biden or why isn't his administration doing X, Y, or Z, the response you'll get is that like, look, how do you get Joe Manchin to vote for it? How do you get it through Congress and the Senate? You know, you got to like take these trade offs. He's hamstrung in by a lot of things like judges and things like that. But the thing is, on immigration policy, it really is one of the like immigration and drug policy actually yeah. are like two big areas in which the executive branch is given pretty much unlimited authority. Like do he does it. not need. Congress's approval to do, do almost any of this stuff. So, like, right. so like it is, it is just a matter of his own individual, not political reality, but his in, like his and his administration's individual political will. So, based on like knowing what we know about like that, you know, the things he could do with a stroke of a pen, like what does it tell you about the, Joe, what Joe Biden actually believes about what is a good immigration policy? Right. The priority is not like what's a good policy. The priority is how to do this in a way that's like still perceived as favorable, you know, that he's seen in, in a good light, that he's not, um, that he's fair, I guess, you know, and, and there's also like all the stuff on crime, stuff on this, whatever. I think it's a matter of like political gains, really. And and to do a policy that would actually be good would be very, <laughs> I mean, you'd lose a lot of political capital. Because it would be seen as what, like just giving all these favors to people who aren't American citizens and like when... Yeah. First of all, like for most people, it's abstract, right? Like if you're in Iowa or whatever, like you're not, you have very strong opinions on welfare and immigration and blah, 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 even though it's not exactly close to you. But there's this strong perception, like it's very strongly associated because it's been decades now that we criminalize immigrants. So yeah, he would lose political points because he legalized all the criminals or uh, i mean i don't know how how to word it exactly but along those lines is is in the what, how does the new immigration bill how does that how does it deal with things like a path to citizenship or like daca or like the, the dreamers so daca the tpp so the trans trans pacific partnership which are predominantly latino countries they would be immediately eligible for this pathway. The pathway is three different status. So the first segment is six years. You start off with lawful prospective status, LPI. So you have LPI for six years. And this applies to everyone from a country that is part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership? And DACA. And because of COVID, an essential worker. So if you're an essential worker from one of those countries attempting to enter America, you will be granted this LPI, lawful prospective immigration status, which lasts for how long? Six years, you said? Six years. And then what happens at the end of six years? And like those six years, that means that you can like live and work in America. You could travel. You can return to your home country if you want to do and then come back. Yeah. DACA immediately would be eligible. Uh, But this is a whole thing before a green card. So yeah, you can't vote. You're allowed residency and you're allowed to work. It's, it's work authorization. But is there a path to citizenship? Like what happens when that six years is up? If you have no felonies, I mean, it's a felony or three mis- misdemeanors. So as long as you don't have those and your national security background check checks out, you can move on to legal resident status with a green card. This goes on for three years before you can apply for naturalization. 
And this is an improvement over a previous immigration regime, would you say? In that there is like, there's some, um, like that, that LPI status, it's like, you know, it's an acknowledgement that like, yes, like all these people are living and working here and they're not, may not be citizens or, you know, legal residents yet, but they are, you know, they should be afforded some level of, uh, I don't know, like, like status or protection or they can't just be, you know, uh, kicked, kicked out or rounded up and thrown out of the country. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Like it's very vague on what happens I mean, what happens if you get pulled over? What happens if you have an IRS audit? And they, I mean, you're still very, very... It's a very precarious situation to be in. Yeah. And it's the longest. It's the one that lasts the longest. Um, you read, I mean, in the piece you wrote about it, you, you also talk about like the, the last big comprehensive immigration reform actually was passed 35 years ago. And it was Ronald Reagan's Immigration Reform and Control Act in 1986, which legalized about 2.7 million undocumented immigrants and made it a crime to knowingly employ an undocumented worker. Like, is this was like 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 in, in, in our lifetimes here, like back in the 80s under the Reagan administration? Like, what was what was like the, the, the framework for that immigration reform? Was this just like an acknowledgement of like how many businesses and capitalists needed these like undocumented guest workers. That's so great because yeah, that's exactly it. Like it made it a crime to knowingly, right? Like in quotation marks. Um, but we don't have to ask anyone either. Yeah. So it's just like, if you don't know about it, you know, don't ask, don't tell is kind of a like, yeah. like framework. No, I mean, it was completely toothless. Like there was no real punishment or, or like consequence to the employer, right? Like the employee would be fucked, but, the company was fine. Um, and that started a long string of, of the same stuff of like the onus, like the burden is on the person. And that's why it didn't really change anything. Like you can use different, you know, like there are a bajillion ways to, to work or to show like an employer something good enough um, to work and get by. Yeah. It's meant to protect employers. And I remember in the, the George W. Bush administration in his second term, he wanted to do, another big immigration reform bill and like the right wing like killed him for that. <laughs> like he like he like squandered a lot of political capital and I think honestly like they kind of led directly to the rise of Donald Trump and that like they discovered that like oh wait Republican voters uh, leaving aside the ones who like you know own and run multinational corporations or have you know uh, small businesses that, that re re require you know undocumented like low paid immigrant labor yeah. actually don't want immigration reform at all they want the no. opposite they want immigrants out of this country and trump was like the first one who came along who actually just said that out loud and he blew away all the other republican opponents yeah. based on the power of that appeal yeah i mean yeah that's that's the soundbite like that's what they say right like we don't want the other they're taking advantage they're uh raping my daughter but the truth is like they will never actually let go of, of they have i mean the U.S. has an addiction to cheap labor, free labor. Like it's not, it's not going to stop. Hey, it's what we, it's what this country was founded on, and it's what made us great. <sighs> yeah, I just like I, I, another thing that like another sort of promise uh, from the Biden administration was a hundred day moratorium on all deportations. That has been halted by a federal judge. So like, what's been going? On? I mean, obviously people are still being deported. Yeah. So I mean, was it was it foolish of Biden to make that promise, or do you think he had any intention of like? following up on it yeah i i think it was a moment like we can all jerk off and come at the same time because he just announced I, I i think that was the whole point just announcing it like i don't necessarily think that anyone cared to follow through with that um and then judge blocked it anyway and meanwhile 
even before it was blocked, uh, they were still deporting. It's also like shows how it's very racist. Like they were still deporting black people, uh, black Haitian immigrants. So like, yeah, like when the people, they only think about it in terms of like the, the, oh, the kids in cages at the borders, but like there was still like, you know, if they arrive on a raft from Haiti, like no one thinks about it or cares. Yeah. yeah. And so like they're, they're, those are free to be deported. That's not, a, that's not a crisis. That's not, that's not something that stains our national soul because, oh, like, you know, like look, look at these beautiful children or whatever. It's, yeah, it, it, it's almost like, you know, like the scope, like you, they were outside the boundaries, like you don't count. So business as usual i mean in the deportations that were happening to you know sending people back to haiti uh there were a bunch of children i've you know like i saw like one headline on like the youngest one was two years old two years old and and that that two-year-old was sent back to haiti yeah jesus so mentioned like like some things that are you know you know minor improvements in, in in our immigration policy that like you know should this bill pass um but what are some of its inadequacies? It it, okay, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to your predictions on whether, but like, assuming it does pass or would pass, mm-hmm. like you mentioned a few things that are minor improvements over our like current system, but like, what are what are some of the glaring inadequacies or, or things that are still missing from this legislation, or or just the way we think and talk about immigration as a problem in general? So, okay, let's see. It, it it's not enough of a of a paradigm shift, right? Like. Even if it's the first to mention X, Y, Z, it's not enough to like really change the system. It doesn't say anything about detention, deportations, like policing, all the triggers that happen here. You know, just when you. So we're not we're not abolishing ICE, is what you're saying? No. Okay. No, like th- that's not at all. Like it's not addressed at all. About how old is ICE as a federal law enforcement agency? Created in two thousand three. Two thousand three. So this is like a Homeland Security post 9-11 thing. So it's like the idea that like, oh, what would we do if ICE didn't exist? And it was like, I don't know, like we spent 40, 50, 60 years without it before. Like it wasn't not not saying everything was great then. But like what is like what is the rationale for for having an ICE agency rather than just a border patrol or, you know, uh, immigration and customs? Because I guess they are immigration and customs enforcement, but you like like a like a, a federal agencies that already exist to deal right. with like the border and immigration. But you need one for the one that snuck in and is yeah here. the one who's got like the thing is like yeah like once they're once they've gotten across the border there you need this like, like this this uh, this federal law enforcement agency like the FBI that can go anywhere at any time yeah. and snatch people out of like you know their their home or place of employment yeah. yeah. Uh, so like what like what is what is like the threat that, that, that people think is like by allowing people to continue to like live and work here that we need like an FBI style law enforcement agency and specifically for undocumented people. And it's enforced uh, by local police. Like that's the thing that I also like I want to like ICE is police, too, because, you know, the, the police on the local cops report shit in the database that that goes to Homeland Security and ICE. And that's how they're are able to pick up as many people as they can. Like, that's not going to change. Biden's not going to change that. The one thing that Biden will change, maybe, is, like, where they do these, uh, you know, like, pickups during Trump. Like, so during Trump, there were some very elaborate ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember seeing right here in New York City, like, like not, like, like, like ICE, like a federal agency, were going around to, like, people's, knocking down people's doors in Queens with, like, a tank. Oh yeah, there's like having an armored personnel carrier of like fully squat kitted 
ICE agents raiding houses and businesses right here in New York City. Yeah. So, you know, what, to to combat the threat of some guy like who like works at a deli or something like. Yeah. I mean, I love your question of like what like they don't represent a threat. Right. I would say it's like a symbolic thing that that people are scared of. of like we're going to lose our culture. We're going to lose our language. Like we're going to start talking Tex-Mex or something like that's like people really do say these things. Uh, I mean, it's frightening to think that like, that, you know, if that's the threat, the idea that people think it could, like something like that could be confronted, like could be counteracted with basically people with guns. <laughs> We're going to all have to have a quinceanera. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Just all, all that, all that Latin explosion of the late nineties and early two yeah. thousands. It's being memory hold. We're getting rid of it. All those, all those Shakira albums, <laughs> it's they're dis- being disappeared. We're taking them off the internet. Yeah. No more tamales for Christmas. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, this is the only thing that makes sense because they instill fear, like it's still, you know, the other, and they still want to sort, they still want to make it clear that, that, you know, the, this the is, power this dynamic. This is our country, yeah. you know, yeah. like that, that you're, you know, to the extent that you're here at all, it's yeah. by our because we you know, let goodwill you. or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, that could be rescinded at any given moment. And so they show that off sometimes, but they don't, like, they'll never do that where they get rid of everyone because. Then our economy would <laughs> suffer. Exactly. So ICE isn't going away, but like it's just just in general, in terms of like in terms of what you think of like just in terms of how we conceive of immigration as a like a problem to be solved, or like the extent to which it causes um, uh, you know sort of tension in, in our American society between you know low wage, lower wage workers, or, and then like you know who you know they are sort of at odds with an immigrant population who would you know yeah. theoretically undercut uh, their wages. Like, but like in terms of like. I guess what I'm asking is like, what would what would like a humane immigration policy on like for both the countries, both for America and the people already living here or who want to live here, and then more importantly for the people in the countries who are coming to like the countries that they're coming from. I mean, that would require going back in time and not disrupting their countries. Like they've backed a lot of you know like non. I mean, if we're so concerned about people coming from El Salvador, maybe we shouldn't have like literally destroyed that country in the eighties and like. Not just destroyed it, but put in charge of it. Like yes. the most ruthless, violent, like psychos in that country. That's exactly. That's exactly what they're going to keep doing. And, I mean, oh, it was funny. Like all the countries were, which like we're most concerned about where immigrants are coming from. It's Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Yeah. What do those three countries have in common in the in their very recent history? The answer is like genocidal, dirty wars fought by funded by this country in the 1980s. Like not like ancient history. Like very recently and in the past. And the U.S. will continue. That's why, you know, this thing won't work. The U.S. will continue to, to propose we need someone there, like, at a, at a post. We need leadership that prioritizes, like, American businesses, business interests. So, Given that going back in time and altering history <laughs> is not yet an option available to us, like, given the situation that exists, like, right now, like, it, like if if you could propose some additions or uh, changes to it in, in a proposed immigration bill, like what what would it look like in in, in your eyes? It's gonna sound weird, but it's weird to think about because that such seems like such a remote possibility. Like it would never, it would never happen. Like even this, that is, you know, somewhat better than than previous reforms proposed. Like this isn't gonna pass. I really concentrate, like, I really focus on the issue of deservingness. So, so you talk about, like, the way we conceive of immigration is, like, who deserves to come to America. Right. right? 
like the whole dreamers right and and daka like there was supposed to be daka and dapa like the parents oh right yeah um and i guess like the, that would be the number one uh, priority for me like i guess now it's like a magic wand and i can do whatever i want like i would i would change like the way that immigrants are, are perceived uh the way that they've been socially constructed over decades and so it's very hard to change anyone's mind you know like facts are not going to do that yeah and take away this notion of like the dreamers because they're innocent yeah like they all they all got straight a's in school yeah. you know they they're on the they're on the band the sports team is just like well you know what if there's some like mediocre shitty kids like do they still get to, <laughs> what, are, what are the kids who just kind of suck you know like no one likes and i mean like do they still get to stay here I mean, like who and then you're right them? what about their parents yeah because like you know obviously if, if if they have been you know born in this country or i mean not born in the, like you know came here when they were very young for all intents and purposes have lived here their entire life they have no connection whatsoever to to mexico or el salvador or other central american countries or theoretically any country that they, they could have you know been taken to as like a very small child like but then so like oh okay like generously like you can stay here we're going to acknowledge it's too cruel to just send you back to a place you've never really lived but your parents though they got to go yeah and it took me a long time because at you know like at first it's like cool the the, the dreamers like yeah, the dreamers have to get their thing. Yeah, we all love to dream, <laughs> don't we? And I think Obama really fucked that up with, I think, you know, like we stopped, people stopped organizing for the Dream Act because he gave them DACA, right? Which was a short uh, solution. And what, so, what did DACA actually like? It would actually do? Like, just to remind people, like, what, 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 it, uh, what was that? It was a two-year program where essentially you were safe from being deported unless you committed a, a violent awful crime and and like is that is that i mean it's only two years though i mean like, it's only two years and you i don't know how much it cost but it was expensive too like you had to renew it every two years um <laughs> trump was very dedicated to undoing like he tried a million times to get rid of it to undo it but I mean, like, just go back to Trump for a second. Like, you know, I think like everybody recognizes now with like Trump and like Stephen Miller, like his little Goebbels in the fucking White House that like, you know, these guys are, you know, the thing is, is, it's not any secret. They're quite open about it. They talk about it. They're happy to tell you about it, that they're like the entire purpose of their like, you know, seemingly inhumanly cruel immigration policies like child separation and just is to make it as painful as possible to try to enter this country to deter people that when you send them back the idea is like oh they're going to tell everyone when they get home don't even try to enter america it'd be better to stay here it's like it's so it's so awful that you know like i don't even want i don't even want to imagine the type of depravity that was like inflicted upon people in these like privately run fucking like ice concentration camps but like my point is i mean there (laughs) there's information like there's a lot of you know, like sexual, sexual violence. Yeah. Like quid pro quo with. Yeah, exactly. Ice dudes. If you want a blanket or if you want like, you know, this is. And then people would volunteer like neighborhood community. People would volunteer and like drop off canned food. And then, you know, like people that were held in these centers would get like food that had gone bad and had maggots in it. Or it's like, yeah, like when you see video of like people who are like volunteering to do so or working for the government finding, you know, caches of water in the desert and just pouring them out. Yeah. Which is just literally saying, like, we would like more people to die yeah. crossing the border. And, like, don't forget, 
the U.S.-Mexico border is like the most dangerous border to cross in the world. Like more people die trying to cross the into in, from the U.S.-Mexican border than like any other border in the world. No, it's one, one of the biggest borders in the world, and it's by far one of the most dangerous. Yeah, and so like yeah, like they just openly say like no, like our policy is we would like more people to die attempting to enter America because if enough of them do, then like less of them will try. Right. So like, I mean, that that's open. That's that's out there. And, you know, everyone it shocked the conscience of so many people in this country. I think like Rodney said that, too. Like Mitt Romney in his day was like, we're going to make it so awful where you won't want to. I well, mean, he's one of the good Republicans. <laughs> I know. Everyone, but, you know, but like, those, everyone loves those, him now. Those are the Republicans. Though. Like it's all it's all sort of basically all in the open. Yeah. You know, it shocked the conscience of this nation or a good chunk of this nation, or at least they pretended to when the election was going on. But now we have a situation where. As we've just started talking about, it doesn't seem like the conditions facing asylum seekers or economic migrants have changed at all. No, and it just seems to be like worse with COVID. They've yeah. gotten tremendously worse. And it just seems to me like if you're a Republican, you have to look at like all the horrible conditions that these people are living, you know, being contained in now. And you point at Biden and you say, "Oh, like it, what a hypocrite!" Look at the media. Like when we were doing this, you know, we were the history's greatest monsters. <laughs> and you know, like, they're not wrong. I mean, their attitude yeah. though is that. Look, it's good. No, we want more of this, but like you can't call us monsters when essentially the policy is producing the exact same results. It just seems to me like the only difference for uh, a Democratic administration or, or liberals who are just they had they were so outraged about kids in cages is that they're like, oh, like they, oh, like the same things are going to keep happening. But like officially, our position is not that it's good. We want you to die, but officially, we have to say no. We don't want you to die. We feel bad about this. Yeah, but that's really the only difference. Yeah. It's just how bad you personally feel as like an American when you're thinking about uh, children, you know, sleeping in a cage. Yeah, maybe. Right. Like maybe hanging a little picture of that, like in your house or something to show how guilty you feel. Or putting one of those uh, like like lawn signs. That say, like, <laughs> we support immigrants in this house. We believe immigrants in science. We, we don't want kids in cages. Science. Science, bitch. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. Um yeah, I mean, that's not going to change. It's only going to get worse. Uh, $8 billion or something has been has been set aside. It's nothing. Like, it, when when they were giving $750 million per year, like, it, it was a waste. It didn't do anything. So there's no reason to assume that it would make a difference now. And it also, so here's also, like, one thing that's new that's really weird. So aside from Mexico not being in it, which, like, there's some beef there. I think they just like these two administrations just talked, but AMLO <laughs> didn't call Biden. Like AMLO didn't recognize like a Biden victory until. Oh, because he knows it was stolen. <laughs> he has the real data. He's I, I mean, and, and he speaks very nicely of Mr. Trump. So like that's weird. But um, the second thing is these processing centers. Um processing centers in your own country so if you are in honduras and you want to petition for asylum you go to these processing centers and you wait in your own country until you get an answer so you have to yeah you're just just hang, just hanging out in a processing center waiting for the like you know fucking endless bureaucracy to like which is designed to dissuade you from doing the thing you're trying to do it's, you know deigns to notice you or you know process your form or whatever and it well it's not like the dmv in a day no like you go start paperwork and and there's like not 
yet like a set of time of like how much will that be days will it be weeks like what are we talking about but to i mean to me it's, it's just weird of like okay so you're supposed to wait in the place where like you're scared of <laughs> being killed like what uh and also it's the same thing trump didn't want them to make it to the u.s border right and because once they get here it becomes our problem and then people get mad when they see pictures of you know people and kids in cages right? yeah but if they're just you know if it's el salvador like honduras doing it then it's like well that's not us this is yeah. not our problem like it's just we're, we're not we're not monsters we we let we love people we treat we respect human rights in this country i mean it didn't say anything about like any sort of like detention center like that's not in there it's just like you are processed in in these designated centers that we're going to put in in your country and then you just like hang on until we give you an answer but that's the same i mean how is that different from le- trump's uh policy led to these fucking tents and in, in the middle of a pandemic and like was awful but this is also the same thing like keeping people away from the u.s border I guess just like uh, finally here, you say that you were not optimistic about the chances of this immigration <laughs> reform bill being passed at all. So this is all this is all very theoretical. Thank you for listening for the last hour, by the way. But no, what, like, what do you think is going to come out of like, like, these negotiations or is there going to be anything passed at all? OK, so maybe we can make a bet um, and see who wins. I mean, the, the history of immigration policy in, in this country is entirely piecemeal. And that's what I would tell you know, like that's the answer. You were saying something about like the Democrats, like what is, what would they say? Like, that's the question that we should be asking them. Like, why is it an entirely piecemeal, like fragmented system that is also very controlled and surveilled? And like, we already know that no immigrant can get any sort of benefit because it was written in, in Bill Clinton's 1996, you know, biggest hits. But it's still in, in this document, like it's still in there again. So just over and over. Um, I think there'll be three bills. One for the Dreamers, like DACA. Uh, one for agricultural workers and, and TPP. And the last one is because of, because of COVID and the pandemic, the essential worker. So if you're an undocumented essential worker, there would be a bill for you? Two-thirds of essential workers are undocumented. And- were, were deemed essential. Of, of like currently in America, yeah, two thirds, two thirds, and like the, that covers like uh, home healthcare workers or oh yeah, a like, lot, a lot of like a lot of other fields as well, I would imagine. So twenty nine thousand dreamers work in healthcare. So I mean, we had a, a an opportunity like for for this to be a labor conversation instead of an an immigrant uh, conversation and. I think we really missed that opportunity. What would it sound like if it, we if we did have a more labor based um, understanding or like discussion about immigration? So I think there's been some positive shift and like perception on essential workers and and immigrants, right? Like people are more open to um, people are more open because they know that the person delivering their Postmates is likely undocumented. That's something that also has these like hints of inferiority so what would it look like i mean it would we should be uh having a conversation where essential workers and the dreamers and you know agriculture like they all have the same protections the meat packing workers like <laughs> trump they didn't want to work they didn't have any like ppp like protection and uh trump not only deemed them essential and and made them work but he also 
cut their pay, like negotiated like their pay pay cuts during the pandemic. So what would it look like? It would look this, like it would just be the same among the different categories. So there wouldn't be this like categorization of like, you know, like of, of what trance you fit into. It would be a, a, a unified, com- actually an actually comprehensive immigration reform right. bill that rather every- than this, this, like you said, targeted at like, oh, like these are the high school kids who came here very young. These are the essential workers our economy needs because every you know rich asshole in the media wants their DoorDash delivered to them. Yeah, and then like and these are the you know uh, the I don't know the people seeking asylum or yeah yeah or or agricultural workers right mm-hmm. like this oh we, well we need them because everyone needs strawberries in January right? Yeah, I mean there would be the same protections and they'd be able to unionize like that's the difference between Reagan and now right like when Reagan did this immigrants undocumented immigrants were very out of sight and covid changed that right like now you i think more people have come to terms with with that um but still it's still in this like it's there's still a distance it's still like it's just someone who is sort of um anonymous and in sort of like a a servile role yeah you know it's just yes. like as long as the food shows up exactly like, that's all you kind of care about exactly but but you know if, but if they weren't bringing the food i mean like Half the people in this fucking city would have killed themselves like two months into this pandemic. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm, yeah, I'm always amazed like how much people order out, but I was super excited once they started adding, like once they added cocktails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol. Last y'all need. Uh, Karina, do you have any, um, any closing thoughts or just uh, any, anything you want to say to wrap this up? I think you should shout out, you know, your boy, Chapo, El Chapo. Well, he's he's now a permanent resident of the United States and in he's Colorado, a, I suppose. In yeah. Colo- he's in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, is he still in Brooklyn? I thought he was transferred because oh. uh, he was convicted. Well, then uh, I will just say, uh, Karina Moreno, thank you so much for uh, reading this bill and um, trying to break it down for us and our audience. Um, if anyone would like to uh, uh, find your find your writings on these matters, uh, where should they go? You can find me on Twitter. So my handle is Gotti in Brooklyn. Uh, Gotti is K-A-R-Y in Brooklyn. Emily in Paris, copy me. Karina, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.